0: So the movie Shawshank Redemption is a favorite movie of mine. By the way, you gotta know a sermon's gonna be pretty okay if you open up with a, a Shawshank illustration, okay? So just to be ready. Um, <laughs> so like many of you, that's a it's a favorite movie. Actually I looked somewhere and it says it's like one of the top ten movies of like all time or something like that. But there's this poignant scene for those of you who have seen it, there's this poignant scene pretty early on in the movie where Andy Dufresne played by Tim Robbins comes and he's got his tray of food and he sits down in the cafeteria, in the prison cafeteria of Shawshank. He sits down and after just having served a two-week stint in the hole okay and he'd been placed in the hole because what he had done is he had locked himself in the warden's office and while he had locked it in himself in there was a record player that had all this opera and Mozart and stuff and he turned it on, and put the speaker to blare it out over the whole prison. And, and the, the scene is really amazing in the scene where everybody just stops and is mesmerized by the music. Well, that gave him two, that gave him two weeks uh, in the hole. So after he sits down, um, he, his friends ask him, say, hey, how you doing? How was that time in the hole? And he says, easiest time I ever did. And and they're just like, nah, no, that's impossible, man. That's like a day in the hole is like a year. There's no way. So they scoff at him and say that's impossible. But Andy tells them that the reason that he was able to feel like that time was hardly any time at all was because he had the music. It was the music that was in his head and in his heart that gave him hope. He said, I had Mozart with me. And that gave me hope endure those two weeks in the hole now morgan uh freeman's uh character red who is at the table and actually he's andy's closest friend at the time he chides andy for such an idea for having hope in a place like shawshank prison he tells andy it is a bad idea to have hope especially amongst such a miserable situation fast forward Almost right at the end of the movie, there's a scene where sometime after Andy, and I don't want to root for people, had left prison, um, Red himself was recently released as well, and soon he longs to seek out his, his buddy, his friend who he's been friends with for 20 years in Shawshank Prison. And he remembers Andy's telling him about a certain field where there's a specific tree and there's a rock wall near it and buried under that tree is something for him. So what he goes, he goes and he finds that tree, he finds that, that rock pile and in it, there's this little tin box and it has some cash in it and it has a note. And in this note, Andy invites Red to join him in Mexico. And here's what he writes on that note. And this is years later after that scene in the cafeteria, he says, Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. This morning, I want to spend the rest of our time, we are going to be contemplating the importance of hope. Webster's Dictionary defines hope as wanting something to happen to be, or to be true and think that it could happen or be true and think and think about it we're all instinctively drawn to hope aren't we on the very basic level hope is what enables us to like learn a new instrument or just different accomplish different things in life like an instrument or we decide to play a sport or to learn another language hope is what propels us to want to keep moving on to acquire a specific skill and to get to a place and be motivated that one day we will acquire a certain level at whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. I mean, on, on a more consequential level, hope is what enables us to continue to pray for a wayward family member, to endure chronic pain, to push forward in looking for a new job when we've literally sent out hundreds of resumes with little or no response hope is what often enables us to be able to pull ourselves out of bed in the morning when the cloud of depression is thick and all we want to do is just pull the covers back over and stay in bed for the rest of the day a once a week occurrence for many of us right well, first, let me give you an example of how this hope, works. We, we learn to play these instruments and we learn to play a sport, oftentimes we think that we're gonna be able to do this. Typically, when we think we're, we think about hope, we think about it in this way. This is what hope is all about, what I've been describing so far. Yet as important as this kind of hope is, the reality is that there's actually an element of uncertainty to that kind of hope, isn't there? This kind of hope, because really, if we're honest, it often precedes some kind of disappointment, right? For example, we hope to learn to play an instrument. For me, it was clarinet in seventh grade, okay? I'm gonna learn this sucker. I'm gonna be, I didn't really know Benny Goodman at the time, but that's probably what I was thinking at the time. Sorry, I'm dating myself here. I'll do that a lot. Um, So we wanna play an instrument, and we just can't get to the level of competency that we want to. We wanna play a sport. I'm gonna go out for that sport. I'm gonna do it we just can't get it or we want to learn a language for some of us learning a language is just like learning another language it's just ridiculously hard is not it and that's where hope fades for me it's in diy okay do it just i'm not handy at all okay i'm not handy i no matter how hard i try how much how often i approach a, a project um, I can YouTube it I can have someone explain it to me uh, they, whatever but no matter what, disaster just, I just can't do it so I make my wife do it. No. we. <laughs> I'm just not and, then, and so a lot of times I feel pretty hopeless maybe you can relate to this maybe you can relate though on a much deeper level for you, you've hoped for a certain family member that they will turn from a destructive lifestyle or that a chronic pain will subside, or soon that, that depression would go away. Or maybe that's that someone special will come into your life and provide that companionship you've been so longing for, yet nothing changes. Here's the thing Christian hope. Hope that is identified as it's identified in the Bible is something completely different than merely wanting something to happen or to be true. It's completely different. Christian hope is literally an anchor for our soul. It's completely safe and sure with no chance of disappointment. It's a hope that is firmly founded in God himself. And really what it does, it carries the emphasis on the ability to be able to endure. True hope, true hope says John Piper, is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. A confident expectation. You see, biblical hope is a confident expectation or assurance based on a sure foundation for which we wait with full and complete confidence. Now, I know why some of you are thinking, I've heard this a lot in church, and I'm thinking about my situation right now, and it's not adding up. Just hold on. Stay with us. okay? Hope, biblical hope, asserts that there is no doubt about the outcome. No doubt whatsoever. It's a confidence assurance in knowing that God will always be faithful to keep his promises. And it's a faithfulness that is firmly grounded in our salvation through Christ. One commentator I read this week puts it this way. Hope is a companion of salvation and inseparable from it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you're feeling hopeless this morning that you're not saved, okay? Or that there's something wrong with you. That's not true, that's not the case at all. But let's talk about that a little bit. Contrast this, all this, this, what we've been talking about hope with the lack of hope. With what it looks like to lack hope. Something I I believe every one of us here has experienced to one degree or another. The truth is the lack of hope or hopelessness impacts every deep, part of our lives. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 12, said. Beginning of it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Ever felt that? Just sick in your heart because you feel hopeless. Now that term deferred means to put off or to drag out in a long, drawn-out process. Hope deferred, it can look like many things as I mentioned earlier. It can look be like a sense of of hopelessness that comes with a prayer of salvation or healing for a loved one or for yourself that continues to go unanswered year after year. Or the seamlessly endless wait for that someone, that soulmate. Or maybe it's simply hopelessness that accompanies a particular difficult season that you're going through right now. And it just seems to go on and on and on. You see, as we eagerly hope for something important and it keeps being postponed, the longing we experience and the feeling of being stuck can literally make our hearts sick. And this word heart here in this passage embodies not only the kind of the mental and emotional core, but a whole inward being, the whole of who we are. Because if something makes the hard heart sick, it causes actual despair and affliction. The good, I know the Good News translation of this. It says, it says, when hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. Glad you came to church. <laughs> hope deferred can lead literally to depression, to anxiety, and to actual physical sickness. Not only that, when we wait for a good thing for so long and that desire and expectation turns to hopelessness, hopelessness, something else can happen that I know many of you have experienced before. We can become spiritually dry and we become vulnerable to the enemy's attack. That's what hope deferred looks like. But thankfully, there is hope. Look at the second half of that verse. In Proverbs 13, it says, But a desire, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And there's something about having a desire that we've been longing for to be met that actually thrills the soul, right? We've been longing for it to happen when that thing we've been hoping for comes to fruition, especially it's a life-altering event. It brings tremendous pleasure and delight. I remember we were... Um,
1: my wife reminded me of this when we were at a,
0: in a trip to Ecuador. A friend of mine was a missionary down there. We were visiting, and I was speaking at a, at a school down there, and just kind of we were also just kind of planning it out for a mission trip for our church. Uh, we'd been waiting up to that point for two years. We wanted to adopt children because we couldn't have any more children. We had two already, and we wanted to adopt. And the process was just taking forever. It was just long, and they who'd been through that process at all, it's the, the emotional roller coaster was just all over the place. When we got home, there was a message, dating myself again on the answering machine, (laughs) letting us know that there was a child, that someone had chosen us. I gotta tell you, that sense of, gosh, is this gonna last forever? It just, (gasps) it was like a tree of life. (gasps) It just was amazing. That's how that felt for us. All right, so this all sounds good, okay? But as biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future, what exactly is that something good in the future that we're supposed to put our hope in? Don't be vague with us, Bible. What is it that we're supposed to put our hope in? And practically speaking, like many of us want to think, what's the actual benefit of this hope for my life now? How does that benefit now? Well, I am so glad you asked those two questions because in this morning's passage we're going to look precisely at what we are to place our hope in and how placing it in that actually benefits our lives now. And I believe, here's the thing, I believe this is a game changer. And I'm going to tell you right up, right up front about this message today. It's one that I'm myself wrestling with. I'm wrestling with it. You'll see as we develop this. I'm wrestling with how to make, play this out in my in my own life. So we're going to look at that, this game changer. And it's actually this hope that we grow in something that we all want. We're going to see that this hope that we have in this thing, it's going to show us what it is that actually there's something that we want that totally is something that we've been longing for more uh, more of that in a minute. But... Um, we need to recognize something as we go forward. I kind of mentioned it a little bit. There's something very beautiful and complex about biblical hope. This is not stuff that we can just tuck in the back of our head and say, okay, I learned that in Sunday school. I learned that. I heard that in church. There's something extremely complex about what we're going to This is going to kind of be a little more heady maybe to today because this this concept These verses, I was assigned, thank you, are very, very complex. The reality is that biblical biblical hope is one of the true mysteries of the Christian life. It is a mystery. How to grasp it, how to live in it, how to make it a part of who we are. Yet as with many things of our faith that are difficult to understand, the pursuit of embracing biblical hope is ultimately meant to drive us to grow deeper in our relationship with God as we continue to learn new things about Him. If we're not learning new things about Him, we're probably gonna start to drive, we're probably gonna start to lose hope. That's the whole idea of moving forward, is growing and learning new things about God as we lean into Him. And oftentimes that's painful. This is the reminder that we're, we're to be, in a sense like that man that Jesus asked if he believed that he could heal his son. Remember, the, his son was, had a demon uh, in him and was throwing him into the fire, throwing him into the water, and he came to Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus said, do you believe that I can heal him? And I love this line. The guy said, I believe, but help my unbelief. You guys, that is a wonderful prayer. Wonderful prayer to pray. God, I believe, but really help my unbelief. There's things I don't get. I don't understand about you. This is hard. What's going on? Help my unbelief. That's a legitimate, wonderful prayer. So with that mindset, we're going to look first at exactly what it is we're supposed to put our hope in. Okay, what is it we have this confident expectation of? Well, first, Dave preached on it last week. Dave actually preached on the verses right above this that we're supposed to put our hope in. And actually CJ next week is gonna be uh, expounding on a couple of those verses as well. So let's look, let's look at that whole chunk of passage right there. Romans chapter eight, verses 18 to 23 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait Eagerly for our adoptions as sons. If you were here last week, you remember that Dave opened his sermon with these encouraging words saying, life is frustrating. He said, life is frustrating. And it's frustrating because it often doesn't work out as it should according to the picture that we have in our minds, right? This is how life should work. And it doesn't most of the time, at least a lot of the time. Dave went on to tell us that it's actually God himself who is ultimately the cause of life's frustration. It's God who decided the world shouldn't work the way it should. Human bondage to sin is the reason. Remember, as a result of Adam's sin, God told him, cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it and all the days of your life. That's sad, but Romans 8 says, In Romans 8, Paul actually tells us that this is good news for humanity. Verse 20, he says, For the creation was subject to futility or frustration, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. If God had not cursed the material world, but let it flourish without humanity, it would have signaled that God had given up on humanity. They went on to say that the, the placement of humanity, a people created with a unique capacity to love and to be loved by God, was the difference between the creation being just good and being very good. So God was not willing for creation to flourish without humanity. And so in response to Adam's sin, instead of wiping out humanity, he frustrated all of creation. And it remains frustrated to this day, groaning and eagerly awaiting a time when all of humanity is finally freed from sin and we're able to flourish. When that day comes, it's going to be glorious. So here's what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying here is that the glory to be revealed to us in the future will be so incredibly marvelous that it will far outweigh our present struggles, then our hope is found in the fact that one day God is going to restore all things to the way they should be. He will bring, I love when he said this last week, he will bring the ultimate shalom to the world and to his relationship with mankind. I really want to read that quote again that he did last week about um, shalom from Neil Polita. He says this, he says, shalom means universal flourishing. Now I want you to think about yourself in this description. okay? Think about your life. universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of, of, of affairs that inspires joyful wonder, As the creator and savior Opens doors and speaks Welcome to the creatures In whom he delights Shalom is the way Things are supposed to be I want to be there I want that Don't you? Verse 23 tells us That the very fact That we possess Or are indwelt With the Holy Spirit of God It arouses in us this painful sense that something is really wrong. You ever felt that way before? The world is screwed up. (laughs) That's, That's the Spirit of God in a deep way telling us we don't belong in this. This is not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be to experience shalom, but for now we can't because of sin. It says that we, we so much, we eagerly we look, we look for it with eager. It's like what Dave said, he said, it's our very suffering that actually points to how great this future is going to be. To be able to say, this is hard, but there's something better. That's what Paul had in mind when in 2 Corinthians, look what he says in uh, 2 Corinthians four seventeen. he says this. For this light momentary affliction, by the way, I don't feel like what I'm going through right now, some stuff doesn't feel like light and momentary affliction. He says, for the light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In his book, The True Story of the Whole World, Michael Gohan writing about the new creation, and as he's describing this shalom, he says, "'Too often our view of the future has emphasized solely the salvation of the individual person apart from the full creation and and relational context in which human beings live their lives. Often the whole of the biblical story seems to revolve around me. Yet the vision of Revelation, indeed the whole story of the Bible, leads us to look forward in hope to a creation restored to wholeness. Every facet of it is to be brought back to what God had all along intended for it. And with that glorious fullness and perfect wholeness, there is a place for us. This is what's to come. This is what we are to ultimately put our hope in when we are going through difficult times and going through struggles. Now, this is all wonderful, right? That's great. That's all good to know. But if you're anything like me, I have a really hard time getting excited about or placing my hope in something that I've never seen, I've never experienced, and frankly, I quite don't really understand. So it's hard to find that motivation in the midst of my struggles to say, Glory, look what's coming. Oh, I get it. Yes. And then find that perseverance that I need to get through that. It's really hard. This is all great, but I'm struggling right now. This is really hard. Again, this is the beautiful and complex mystery of biblical hope. It's a mystery. It's precisely what Paul had in mind when he wanted to, when he, these two verses that he says here. So our verses this morning, nice intro. Here we go. Our verses for this morning, Romans chapter eight, 24 and 25. He says this, for in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In these verses here, Paul is emphasizing the fact that Christian hope, this true, this mysterious biblical hope, this hope that's filled with confident expectation and this desire for something good in the future is something that is literally unseen. And it's that same hope, though, that assures our salvation. It's the same unseen hope we, we have when we invite Christ to reign and rule our lives, right? When you become a Christian, when you invite Christ to Christ to take control of your life, you don't say, oh, I see it all. I get it. It all makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It doesn't all make sense. There's some things that do make sense, but it all doesn't. So it's the same hope that's in our salvation. So he says that once something is hoped for, is seen or experienced, it's no longer something to be hoped for, right? I mean, you don't hope for something that you can already see or you already have happened. I mean, I don't hope to be saved. I know that I am saved because I have experienced it and I am experiencing it. It's like I don't hope that the sun will rise today, right? I don't hope that it'll rise I can see it. I've already experienced it. Now, what he's saying is this future glory, this, this future shalom is for now unseen to us. We, we can't totally see it. Or for that matter, really, like we said, like I said, really fully understand it. Yet as, as followers of Jesus, our hope in it is certain. Our hope in it is a sure thing. It's like how the writer of Hebrews explained faith. It's kind of the same thing. Look what he says in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the the conviction of things not seen. I don't have faith because, oh, it all makes sense. That's why I get anxious. That's why we struggle with things. Because I can't see it. But faith is hoping. It's this confident hope. I know that it's going to happen. See, biblical hope, like faith, is this confidence, expectancy that we, what we hope for, even the things that we can't see or understand, will actually happen. It's a sure thing. Now, once again, this is a tough concept. Because some of you are probably thinking, okay, I'm not. This is definitely not one of those things where one plus one equals two. If I just do this or I believe this. So often, we've been trained in our Christian faith that that do this or believe this, believe that, then this happens. This is one of the big mysteries of the Bible right here, that we can put our hope in something unseen and actually be able to have it impact our lives now. If we're honest, it's a tough concept to grasp. And the truth is, there's a reason, partly why the reason is, is it's hard to do this is the truth is much easier to put our hope in what we can see and understand. It's, what, it's human nature. It's really what came out of the mindset of the Age of Enlightenment during the 1700s and 1800s, history class time. Um, this is what the, kind of their mindset ushered in. This is a time when up until that time authority, really what had been up to that time been found in divine revelation, what the church had said in divine revelation. But then it began to be replaced with, with authority being found more in reason, okay? It's that mindset that because the only things we can know for sure are the things that we can observe and logically deduce. Sound like a mindset that's still around? We see it all over today. You know, our society continues to turn from trusting in a God that they can't see to figure out to figure out to things, or figure out to things that they can somewhat see and, and grasp and understand. I don't see. I can't see God. I can't see that doesn't make any sense. But that I can believe because I see it. It's been proved, and it makes sense. That's human nature. And the truth is that this need to see or completely understand something before we put our hope in it is ultimately really has led our society to be entrenched in things like moral relativism nationalism individualism consumerism materialism a bunch of other isms that you can probably think about because there's elements of these things that actually can be seen i can see how that benefits my life i can understand that concept so it's easy to say i'll put my trust in that i'll put my hope in that now back to our passage verse 25 reveals this game-changing benefit here's the benefit okay i know you're thinking okay this is all good but i i need the goods what what what's in it for me and sometimes that's okay to ask what's in it for me? there's something in it for us to put our hope in this unseen glory to put our to be able to put our stamp on where i'm i'm all in there that's what's giving me hope and really it's something that we really are all wanting especially in the context of difficulties and struggles in our life. It's the thing that we all would admit that we lack big time and we truly long for more of. Look at verse 25. He says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What Paul is saying here is that it's in focusing on the hope of this unseen future glory that we actually find the motivation to be able to patiently endure life's struggles mystery that's a mystery now we might not always feel the, the longing like oh look what's coming it's making me feel better about everything and we might not feel that or we might uh, not be very patient still and I want you to hear this To be a Christian in this life, I know many of you know this and hate it, and I do too oftentimes, means to wait. To be a Christian in this life oftentimes means to wait. And in this case, wait for the best possible reality that anyone could possibly imagine, even within life's deepest struggles, to be able to wait with patience. That just sounds so impossible, doesn't it? You see, biblical hope is patience. It literally is patience. Patience cannot be separated from hope. Patience and hope actually feed off of each other, especially when it comes to the mindset of suffering. The word patience in this verse can be translated as perseverance. If we hope for what we do not see, We wait for it with perseverance. Webster's Dictionary, once again, defines perseverance as the quality that allows someone to continue trying to do something even though it's difficult. Ever been there? I'm trying to persevere. I'm trying to be patient. That's what perseverance, that's what comes from this hope True biblical hope is what enables us to endure difficult times. Look at what Romans 5, 3 and 4 says. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And here it is, character produces what? Hope. We're so caught in like, this suffering has to go. Our theology of suffering in the West is very, very weak of how important suffering is. Not like, I'm, what can I do to make me suffer? No, the suffering that comes in our life, God uses it. God has a great plan for it. And according to these verses, though, we can find hope because of what's coming. Confidence in what is coming. A clearer translation of this word endurance here is patiently, steadfast, waiting for. <laughs> patiently, steadfast. Now, once again, is that something that you long for more? I do. Are you something that you're not great in? I'm not. But that's what this, he's talking about here. It carries the idea of this patient frame of mind. Oh, I long, I long for that to have a, more and more. And I feel like that's what God is shaping my life so much lately, is having more of a patient frame of mind. And it has to go, and it's coming, and it usually comes through adversity and difficult times. This has the idea to be remain confident in what's to come, no matter what. I can be patient because what's coming? Mystery. Here's the point hope. True biblical hope, hope that is rooted in what's to come, is what enables us to patiently endure the inevitable difficulties or perceived setbacks that we're going to face in life. The truth really is that the life of a Christian is a life of anticipation, it's a life of anticipation. It's the anticipation of the incredible glory to come. As soon as I say that word when I was studying, first thing that came to my mind that I ate, gonna date myself again, um, thinks back like to the late 70s I think it was, when of these Heinz ketchup commercials came out and they had Carly Simon singing in the background. You, some of you are nodding your head, you know, or, you know where I'm going with this. And Carly Simon in the background, she's singing her song, Anticipation and then the commercial with the it was slow they pour it they catch up ketchup, and it slowly come out they the people looking at it and it slowly drizzles over the pile of french fries and, and onto the hamburger and the whole time you're hearing anticipation anticipation <laughs> it's making me wait finish it with me <laughs> I love it. It's keeping me way,, yay. yay. So it's just like it like, yeah, it's, making, it's making me wait. That's the Christian life. That's what God is trying to do, and so much of what we're going through is have us be this incredible anticipation of what's to come. Something amazing is coming, and that can impact me now. That's the mystery, the mystery, the complex mystery of Christian hope. That's to be our mindset. Patiently anticipating the glory to come. And that's not easy, is it? Not easy at all. I was telling my wife a couple weeks ago when I was starting to prepare for this sermon about how we talk about it, and she, was, and she was giving me a great answer, like, oh yeah, so my everything's supposed to be good now as I think about what's to come. And, and, and I was like, oh, you're right, that's really hard. But then maybe like, yeah, that's the mystery. That's the mystery that God wants us to, to lean into patiently anticipating the glory to come. And it's not easy. And I kind of believe, here's something that's kind of interesting, I think. I kind of believe that that though God is actually gives us glimpses kind of of this future glory now, I think he's kind of good to us. Kind of like, I would like to say, he kind of throws us a bone every once in a while to kind of show us that, that what is to come, to kind of entice us. I remember when we were gonna take my, um, I always been, I could not wait too. I, lived in, I grew up in LA. We'd go to Disneyland all the time. I got sick of Disneyland. I never wanted to go again. Then I had grandkids. Hello. That changes everything. Changes everything. So I remember when my soon-to-be, he was five years old at the time, was preparing my oldest grandson for his first trip to Disneyland. And we did all of the, the best we could to prepare him to help him to get excited about going to the... You can't... Understand. So we're we're showing him movies. We're showing him, I'm showing him clips on rides. Yeah, you and Opa, we're going to go on this together. It's going to be so fun. And we're talking about it and and trying to get it going. But as you know, there's no way to fully prepare a first time visitor to the happiest place on earth. There's just no way. You just can't. It it is impossible. But those glimpses did whet his appetite. I mean, they fell tremendously short of the magic of Disney. My daughter-in-law was like, oh, Disneyland, whatever. I remember saying my midway through the thing, she goes, there really is a magic <laughs> to Disney. As she's watching it on the kids' faces and things like It brought this, so this anticipation was great. But as you know, there's no way to fully prepare for a trip like that. And so that's why it helps to see some, give some, give some glimpses of what's going on. So might there be some glimpses that God gives us of this future unseen glory? things that can give us hope that enables to patiently and confidently endure life's hardships? As I said, I believe that there are. Maybe these minute glimpses of glory where shalom feels near or are actually in some ways the fulfillment of everyday special moments that we experience. In describing the kingdom of God, you've likely heard, and I just heard this the other day from someone in our church, that term already, but not yet, I know you guys have been taught on here the term already but not yet. Already but not yet holds the belief that believers are actually taking part in the kingdom of God here and now. Although the kingdom will not reach its full expressions until sometime in the future, we're already in the kingdom, but we do not yet see its full glory. We're reminded that we're already participating in God's kingdom reign as we experience his grace. Ever had that happen where you just can sense, I'm just sensing God's grace right now in my life. Or his power. God uses you, uses your gifts and your talents. You experience a wave of his goodness comes over you. If there's something so much greater coming, there's a little glimpse 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Now, what are some of these other glimpses, maybe? What are some other things? glimpses of future shalom look like maybe you get it like i said a glimpse of god's grace and mercy in your life or or a time you just feel particularly close to him through whatever way my one of my best ways i do that is i put my earbuds in and i listen to worship music and sometimes the spirit of god just hits me or maybe it's it's when you someone tells a joke and you're just laughing your head off that's that could be a little glimpse, just a little glimmer. Or, you, or you're listening to some music that you absolutely love and it sends shivers down your spine. You're at a concert and you, hear, you go, whoa, that is amazing. It gives you goosebumps. Or maybe when you see a toddler laughingly run into her mother's arms. Or maybe it's just some of the best memories that you can think of. Maybe these are glimpses. Maybe these are meant to be the things that we cling to. To say, yes, something amazing is coming because I've experienced just a little teeny tiny bit of it and it's gonna be so much better. Maybe, just maybe, when we experience these types of things, we should remind ourselves. Remind ourselves that yes, life is hard. What I'm going through right now is really difficult. But whatever I'm going through, I can patiently Endure it because it has nothing compared to what's to come. Once again, Michael Gogian writes this, Hope is a settled and certain conviction about the future, a conviction that gives meaning and shape to life in the present. Commentator William Barclay says this, The blazing truth that lit life for Paul was that the human situation is not hopeless. To Paul, life was not a weary, defeated waiting. It was a throbbing, vivid expectation. That's the mystery. Paul, was he had grasped the mystery of what's to come, and it impacted everything he was going through while he was in prison, while he was being beat, while he was hungry. Hope of future glory is what got him through. It's like he's saying life is hard right now, but whoa, whoa, look what's coming. We wrap this up. Remember, biblical hope is one of the true, beautiful, and complex mysteries of the Christian faith. And here's the thing it's one of those mysteries that if we're not careful, we can easily write it off as impossible to truly experience. You ever had that? When someone talks about their experience and their faith and you go, I can never have that. Or you hear a sermon or someone says something and you go, that's impossible. That's what happens when we write these things off and when we forget that it's a mystery. We need to lean into it. Let's not let our lack of understanding of it keep us from deepening our relationship with God by continually, even daily, asking him to help us to experience it. Really, in a sense, may our prayer on a daily basis be, I believe, but help my unbelief. This is really hard, God. And I heard a sermon by this old guy, and he said and showed us that we can find hope in our future glory. I'm not getting it, but I believe it, but help me. Help me in my unbelief of that crazy mystery of hope that is found in future glory. I want to encourage you with this. In the coming days and weeks, as you encounter life's difficulties, to try to begin to kind of like knee-jerk or instinctively ask God to give you hope that is found not in what you can see, not in what you can understand, not in necessarily taking it away, but in, complete, in what is completely safe and sure with no chance of disappointment. That he would give you, in the midst of all that, a hope that is firmly found in God himself and a hope found in your future unseen glory that is meant to inspire and motivate us to patiently endure life's struggles. I want to end with this reading of this passage. First Peter says this. For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I so rightfully then I gotta admit that this is a mystery to me even still but it's your word and your word tells us that we can find hope hope that enables us to endure during difficult times in the realization of your what's coming I pray for all of us God that as we go about our days and weeks God would you help us to ask you help us our unbelief, to believe this is true for us. Thank you that it is available to us. Thank you that when we don't feel it or we don't sense it, you still desire us to have it and pursue it. Help us to do that. Give us the strength. Give us the endurance to do that. Thank you for your incredible love and hope in Christ's name.